Well, good morning, church family. This morning we are ending our Joseph series, and it's been a good one. I've really enjoyed going back through that life that's recorded for us in Genesis chapters 37 to 50. And today we're going back to look at Joseph through a very particular lens, and that is the lens of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of Joseph's life as a portrayal of who Jesus would be and what he would do. This morning, the message is called A Picture of Jesus. And you can note that eventually we'll be back in Genesis chapter 41. I have some other scriptures that we'll be, we will be focusing on today. But I want to really give a perspective to this idea of a picture of Jesus. And I want to start by way of introduction uh, talking for a minute about the art form called mosaic. Perhaps you've been someplace where you have seen a mosaic. Mosaic is the art form where you take many different colored stones and you arrange them in such a way to create a very large portrayal of something. You can find mosaic as far back as the Mesopotamian culture before Christ. And excavations have unearthed these interesting images of people out in the fields shepherding their sheep or playing athletic games. And as you come further into Roman and Greek culture, you find the same. Typically, you'd find a portrayal in a mosaic of the Greek god Zeus or the Roman god Apollo, and surrounding them would be the elements that they were controlling. And if you lived in one of those cultures, that art form would portray your hope of how your life and the entire cosmos could be controlled. Nowadays, you could see mosaics in every culture. Um, those Greeks, those Romans, uh, Islamic culture, even in Lego culture. <laughs> if you want to spend $279.99, you can get a set mailed to you or pick it up at the local store and with the tiniest of colored dots, you could make an image of the Beatles. <laughs> you could make an image of Mickey Mouse, even Darth Vader and Darth Maul, if you are so inclined. But more importantly than that, Christians started to take this art form of mosaic. And back in the year 1963, in England, there was a mosaic that was unearthed that dates back to the year 300. It was one of the earliest of all Christian mosaics. And when the Christians used this art form, they were seeking to portray something about their faith to successive generations. And if you would go even now to this tiny hamlet where this mosaic was unearthed, you would see in this mosaic at the very center is the image of that time, the portrayal of Jesus Christ. He has the Greek letters X and R, which were the Christian symbols of his name. X stood for key, or our words CH, our letters CH, and R for R, right? And put together, that would be the symbol to them of Christ. On the corners of the mosaic, you saw not the four elements, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
And they were all leading into the centerpiece, Christ. Now, the majesty of that mosaic is not so much how the tiles were arranged, but in how the early Christians took that art form and communicated back to the Greeks and the Romans, essentially, in the words of historian Stephen Nichols, a new sheriff is in town. Christ is the hope of the cosmos. Christ is the one who controls all things. And he mediates it, not through the elements that must be controlled, but through his word. And his word leads us always to Christ. As Rebecca read that passage in 1 Peter this morning, that was the hope of the Old Testament prophets. As they looked into the prophecies that God recorded, the prophecies that God gave them, they started to see a picture emerge. And that picture was of the Messiah to come. They weren't quite sure how it would all happen, but they were certain of a few things according to 1 Peter chapter 8 verse 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 8 to 12. According to the prophets, they knew Messiah was coming, that he would suffer, that he would be glorified after that suffering. And that these things were important for their generation, but more importantly for our generation, to whom we would receive all of those things. And it was a picture to them that was emerging, not only in the books of Isaiah to Malachi, what we regard as the major to minor prophets, but in the people, the events, the things that God put in place throughout the Bible as a testimony and as a picture of the Messiah, his son, to come. Our main theme this morning is to look at the life of Joseph one more time and to remember that the Old Testament story of Joseph, while unique to Joseph himself, points to a bigger and a better story of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And that's our theme. And these three points, which... I don't have it on the screens for you today. I will, be, I will try to give the pictures of the slides through my words, just like God does, all right? I'll do my best to lead you and to help you. Here are the three points if you want to follow along. Joseph is a type of Christ. That's point number one. But Jesus is the better Joseph, point number two. And then number three, what should our response be in light of these things? So let's go through it. Point number one, Joseph, a type of Christ. First, we need to ask, what is a type in the Old Testament? What is a type? Well, we could hopefully start with a definition that might help. Let me read it for you. A type is a real person, thing, or place that God prepared in the Old Testament to point to Jesus in the New Testament. All right, so I'll just say that again slowly. A type is a real person, place, or thing that God put in the Old Testament to point us to Jesus in the New Testament. And in pointing to him, God wanted to reveal and celebrate who this son is that he loves so that we would not miss him. As you read through the Old Testament, you see hundreds of types, and they are like visual theology, lifted up like big billboards 
where God says, don't miss my son. If you've ever been to South Dakota and you drive through the roads out there, it is impossible to miss one place, Wall Drug. Perhaps you've been to Wall Drug before. I was there when I was 19. And after driving past so many signs, I, I convinced my family that, that was traveling with me that we had to stop at Wall Drug. And to be honest, apart from the, the jackalopes that you could buy in the convenience souvenir store and the panorama of the Badlands and the entryway there, it wasn't really that much. I mean, the signs led to a lot of hype. But when God puts up signs, they're not hype. They are God's compelling visuals to not miss what is most important in this entire universe. And if you're traveling through life and you're reading God's Old Testament, the purpose of the Old Testament is to reveal Jesus Christ. And that's what happens. Sometimes you can do this through a type and it's a really good, instructive, helpful type that reveals Jesus. Sometimes you could do it and it's not so helpful. I want to at least give you one example of what's not so helpful so that you can learn the difference. Pastor Brian Chappell uses the following example. He says that some interpreters may tell us things like the wood of Noah's ark symbolizes the wood of the cross. You may have heard that before, but here's where it gets really good. By that, I mean not so good. They may stretch it a bit further and suggest that the wood of the ark was made of gopher wood. And that is supposed to remind us of the resurrection since gophers live in the ground and Jesus came up out of the ground. All right, so if you think that that is a good type, then I would invite you to my equipping class starting <laughs> August 14th on how to study the Bible. Now, according to our definition, types are real people, places, or things. They are historical markers that God has put up that really existed, but their stories are significant beyond themselves. They point to Jesus. We can learn, for example, that Moses, right, who we regard as an excellent leader, and we often read the book of Exodus through Deuteronomy as kind of this leadership journal. Certainly, Moses was a good and godly leader, and there are many principles that we could learn he is a type of a leader that we want to be. But he was also a type of a prophet who was coming. And that's why he told Israel in the book of Deuteronomy that they were to look forward to a prophet who would come, who would be different than him, but better than him. And to him, all of Israel must look and pay attention. So by the time Joseph was portrayed in the writings of Moses to the people of Israel initially as they were exiting Egypt and going out into Canaan, to the time of Israel's history when it's recorded in the Bible and then it's passed down to us today. God wants to get a message across through the life of Joseph that is beyond the message that you can overcome temptation if you just trust God beyond the message that you can forgive if you just trust God enough, <laughs> right? These lessons in part about Joseph's life are helpful to us, but if we miss the bigger picture of what Joseph is all about, 
then we miss the whole story. If we look at Joseph as a type of Christ, then the first thing we should do is go back and see in the story of Joseph how this comes about. Turn to Genesis chapter 41 with me. One of the last times I preached here, I was in Genesis chapter 41, and I can remember at the time how full this chapter is and how impossible it was to preach through every verse, but I think I tried. All right, Genesis chapter 41, verse 37 um, begins with a word that has hit Pharaoh about the dreams that he had, and he is convinced that Joseph has told him the right interpretation. Pharaoh was pleased, and all his servants, in verse 38, and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this, and whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. So there was more to Joseph than initially meets the eye. As Pharaoh looked at him, a man who had just come out of prison, a man who moments before had had the grime of the, of the dungeon on him, the pit, the pit that had clung to him, it seemed, and he wasn't able to get rid of it from the, the moment when his brothers had pushed him into it so many years before. But he had changed in that pit, and he had looked to God. And I would dare say that he hoped, like the Old Testament prophets did, in the Messiah who was to come. Joseph knew the promise of Genesis 3.15, which comes up often in the Old Testament as the promise of God to supply a redeemer for the sin that we humans got ourselves into. That someday the woman would bear a child who would go to war against the snake. He would be wounded by the snake, but he would eventually crush the snake's head. Joseph held on to that. And he knew that he himself may not be the chosen redeemer. But he had that dream from God that he would be used by God and the life of his family to preserve life. And he waited on the timing of God in order for that to come about. And he held on to the promise of the Messiah to come the same way that we hold on to the promise of the Messiah who came. The Old Testament people and us New Testament people are saved by faith alone in the Messiah. But the reason that we have it so much better is because we know the name of the Messiah, Jesus. And we worship him because of who he is and who he has been revealed to be. Joseph held on to the promises that he had. 
and it produced in him the character of this Messiah to come, even to the point where Pharaoh, a pagan man, looked at him and said, this man has the spirit of God. In other words, there's something otherworldly about you. There's something that makes you stand out from everybody else. And furthermore, by the wisdom that I see the Spirit of God has given you, I am making you second in command of the known kingdom of the world, Egypt. I love this image of Joseph riding around in his chariot and the people of Egypt bowing down as he rides by, bowing the knee. And they say, hail, hail. So much so that you can't read things like this, can you, without getting images in mind of what it's like for the Lord Jesus. He is the ultimate prince who came into a foreign land and was put to death and then exalted high above all so that as Philippians 2 tells us, everyone, Everyone, the living and the dead, will bow before him. They will proclaim him as Lord of all. This is Genesis 41 preview of the ultimate coronation of what will happen someday when Jesus rightfully in the throne room of God with all witnesses will receive publicly the glory and acclaim. And there will be no one who escapes that time. But some will do so willingly out of a glad heart, redeemed and forgiven. And others will do so with a begrudging heart, forced in the last moment after time to confess something that in life they never confessed. And in these pictures of Jesus, God again is holding up a sign There can be only one ruler. It's not the gods of Egypt. It's not the gods of the nations. There is only one God and his son whom he has sent, God in the flesh. So as we read these things, we have the testimony of Jesus himself because I have to think, am I reading this wrongly? Am I, with knowledge of what happened in the New Testament, reading back into the Old Testament, something I shouldn't? We have the assurance of Jesus himself on multiple occasions, but here's a good verse to meditate on. John 5, 39. Jesus said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. He was speaking to his disciples and to his opponents, the Pharisees. And as he turned to the Pharisees, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And then here is the kicker. It it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. That's what they were missing. The Old Testament is not primarily or ever intended to be a book of rights and wrongs that if you do more rights, you end up okay. And if it rules out the wrongs, then you'll be in heaven someday. If you do good, you get the blessing. If you do bad, you get a curse. Right? Yes, those things are there, but why? To point us towards the holy majesty of God. 
and to the necessity of his son, the Messiah, to come, to put to death the snake, and to give us the only way to be saved by taking our place. So in all of these things, we could see that the scripture bears witness. But I mentioned a mosaic at the beginning. A mosaic is when you take many little pieces and you arrange them in such a way that they reveal a picture as you step back and look at it. It takes a master to produce such a work of art. God is that master. And I'm going to, at the risk of droning on in enumerated points for a minute, tell you some of the many ways that Joseph's life is a parallel to the life of Jesus Christ and how Jesus is ultimately the better Joseph who came. Pastor Eric Raymond, on a blog article many years ago, listed a number of things that he wanted us to know and to think about in terms of Jesus and Joseph and the parallels of their lives. Uh, Listen to these and think about, as you put yourself back in Joseph's story, what this reveals about the story of Jesus to come. He is the object of his father's special love. He had promises of divine exaltation. He was mocked by his family. He was sold for pieces of silver. He was stripped of his robe. He was delivered up to the Gentiles. He was falsely accused. He was faithful amid temptation. He was thrown into prison. He stood before rulers. His power was acknowledged by those in authority. And he saves his rebellious brothers from death when they realize who he is. He is exalted after and through humiliation. He embraces God's purposes even though it brings him intense physical harm. He is the instrument God uses at the hands of the Gentiles to bless his people. He welcomes Gentiles to be a part of his family. He gives hungry people bread. People must bow their knee before him. Who are we talking about again? Is this Joseph or is this Jesus? And the answer is yes. As God gave multiple little stones of events in the life of Joseph, as we see the master arrange them in such a way through the book of Genesis, they are arranged to portray a sign of the one who was to come, Jesus. These events in Joseph's life were were real to him and they they were painful. And every lesson that he learned, that we've learned all summer long, are lessons that we ourselves as followers of God need to learn. But these events were more than just about Joseph. They were a sign, they were a picture of Jesus to come. So how can we put these things together and learn something about Jesus? What more can we say than what we have said? I do want to focus in point number two now on Jesus, the better Joseph. Turn to one other passage of scripture, Hebrews chapter two. I don't have time to teach all that I'm going to read, but I'm reading something here for perspective on the life of Joseph and the application of what Jesus has done to be and as 
the better Joseph. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 9. But we see him, that's Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That passage of scripture, as I considered the many that could point us to the the work of Jesus in the New Testament as a fulfillment of the type of Joseph in the Old Testament, I kept coming back to this passage because of some of the key concepts that were there. Namely, that idea that he's not ashamed of his brothers before God. Namely, that he went into a foreign place, even the suffering that came with that, and willingly embraced it to deliver his people. That ultimately, he died to deliver people from their lifelong fear of death under the power and authority of Satan. This is the better Joseph, the one that Joseph's life was pointing to. As I look at these things, I have several things just to point out quickly. And there are things like this. Joseph was involuntarily sold into slavery, but Jesus entered slavery willingly so that he could enter our suffering. Jesus, or Joseph rather, forgave his brothers, trusting in God's grace and purposes. But Jesus forgave his brothers by dying for them, taking on the punishment their sin deserved. Joseph preserved the family line so that the Messiah could come to crush the serpent. Jesus rescued his family by destroying the one who had the power of the the serpent, Satan. Joseph provided bread that spared his family for over seven years of famine. Jesus gave his own body and blood as a propitiation, a satisfaction of God's wrath for sinners. Joseph ultimately died and was placed in a coffin. Genesis 50, verse 26, ends that way. That's the end of the book of Genesis. So interesting. Begins with the expansion of the cosmos. And it ends with Joseph in a coffin. 
And as we think about that, how different it is that Jesus died and was placed in a tomb, but ultimately rose again, never to die anymore. In every way, Jesus is the true and the better Joseph. Joseph was a type, a picture. You can think of it this way. When you look at your computer, often your pictures, your family photos perhaps, are in your files and they're just these tiny thumbnail sketches. And you can't really see the detail unless you blow them up. Joseph's life is like a, a hundred little thumbnail sketches that all arranged form this picture of the one who was to come and for us the one who has come. And we celebrate him every time we gather like this for worship. So what should our response be? Well, this is the third and, and final point of application. Um, in the first place, I would encourage you to read, to discover, and worship Jesus. Read the Bible to discover and worship Jesus. If you're like me, you, you get to certain points in your life when you, you get into ruts and maybe you read the Bible just to read it and to say that you've done it for the day. And you, if you have a plan you're following, maybe you check off that you've done that. But it feels like you're missing the, the, the bright reality for all of the little details. One interpretive lens that helps me is to remember, as I read, I want to see Jesus. And as I read, I want to approach my Bible reading time with that thought. This time in the Word today is to help me know, love, and follow you a little bit better today, Lord. Please help me as I read. I love how when Jesus came, he was ministering and he found Philip. Philip, when he's mentioned in the book of John, is often going to somebody and bringing them to Jesus. And that's what happens with Philip when he meets Jesus. But he gives this amazing testimony, having just met Jesus. Philip found Nathaniel, one of his friends, and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law had also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. See, his heart, John chapter 1, verse 45, was after spending all of his life reading what we know as the Old Testament, he meets this one who comes and suddenly it all clicks that everything they've ever read, that all the things that they've anticipated and looked forward to are found in this one man, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. How beautiful it is for us and what a priceless discovery for us when we get to that point where we see in these Old Testament types, these real life people, places, and things, and we see in them the provision of God portraying to us in visual theology, Jesus, so that we might know him better. If you think that the only way to know Jesus is by the New Testament, then a whole world awaits you in the Old Testament as you read 
with the eye to find and to worship Jesus in the word that he has given us. Better than the hidden mosaics in far-off places that have yet to be unearthed are the mosaics that God has put together in the lives of his people and in the events that he's orchestrated so that we would know and love Jesus. But another way that we can respond is that we can portray Jesus with our lives. You and I are not the same as Joseph in one way. Joseph in his time was a particular person that God put in the nation state before Israel was ever a nation so that his people would know who the Messiah was who was coming. God does not select individuals from among the peoples nowadays to hold up as one representative for everybody about spirituality or about the character of Jesus. But we do have the privilege to represent Jesus personally. And I would encourage you that as you reflect back on the life of Joseph, perhaps it was the betrayals that he experienced from his own family members that registered with you. Maybe you've had fathers betray you or a spouse betray you. And you've learned through the series in Joseph's life that there's hope for you, that that betrayal need not define you, but that you can actually find the hope of Jesus Christ in your life today. And you don't need to be bound by those betrayals. If you're a, a guest here today and you've not heard this series on Joseph, oh, please go back in our, our archives on our website and listen to these messages. Look up the ones about forgiveness. Listen last week to Jake Bishop's message on forgiveness or Colin's message over in the hub on forgiveness. Rich teaching about how to respond when we are wronged and what our hearts need as far as that spiritual counsel. Right, maybe you've, you've dealt with temptation recently and you hear the story of Joseph and you, you know that he responded in the right way and, and maybe you have not responded in the right way to temptation. God can work out in your life the purity of Jesus Christ. It doesn't help to avoid him and to try your best to start acting good again. What matters is going to God through Jesus and finding that he awaits you with open arms and he embraces you and as he's holding you according to James 4 in his embrace, he says, now you have the safety net that's always required for you to forsake this sin, to clean your hands because you've been a sinner and to purify your heart because you've been double-minded. But in the embrace of God, that's the assurance that we need to go forward. Joseph can be instructive and he can be a help to us to know what to do next. But ultimately, there is a way that we can portray Jesus Christ together. Hold on a minute. Sometimes technology gets in the way, right? There is a way, one more way, that we can portray Jesus Christ. 
And that is through the life of this church. I started by talking about mosaics. I really hope I didn't lose you at Darth Vader. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to end by talking about mosaics for a minute. I want you to consider the words of First Peter. If you would, go back to First Peter. We started there. I'd like to, be, to end there in First Peter chapter 2. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It says, as you come to him, again, this is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As mosaics are built with little stones, so another picture of Jesus emerges by living examples, not even just individuals in the church, but by the church as it gathers and the church as it commits through thick and thin to be together, to worship together, to serve alongside one another, and to not abandon that. This is what Jesus has desired through all of those billboards of the Old Testament that pointed to him. He gets to today, and he is building up with each of you a living picture of what he is like. For we are his body. How important it is to function that way, to not go it alone, but to live in such a way where we understand our calling. It is corporate. And as has often been said, Christianity is intensely personal, but it is never private. Your life linked up with other people's lives will be messy, but you are living stones and you are the portrayal together of Jesus Christ. Now that is a segue to invite you to come next week as we begin a series here all throughout the month of August about life together. From Ephesians chapter four, Pastor Sam will be preaching throughout that entire month, giving us a vision for what it means to be this living, these living stones in this portrayal of Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to end here in just a minute by singing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I would invite Doug and the others to come. And I just want to pray in celebration of Jesus that he came, but that he is still available for you today. And there could be one here who needs to today repent of their sins and turn in faith and belief in this one who came, Jesus Christ that today would be the day when you bow the knee to him and submit to him as Lord of your life. Lord in heaven, we pray these things and among all the things that compete for our attention, all the other signs that are up drawing our attention away, that we would see the signs that you have put up, that we would see these types as you celebrate and promote your son and say to us, as we read sacred scripture, come 
and see this one who I love. Help us, Lord, to see the Lord Jesus. And may today, even today, as Doug has said earlier, as I pray now, be a day when, when someone here lays down their sins before you and finds forgiveness at the foot of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.